is Palm Sunday, and uh, the, the message today is that the king is here. And, and, and this is really the beginning. What we're looking at and studying is the last week of Jesus' first coming, the last week of his life on earth. And, and you might say, well, like, why do we go with the, the, the palms, and why do we do such a big deal out of the Passion Week? And, and I thought, you know what, let's look at scriptures. And if we look at scriptures, there are 89 chapters in all of the Gospels, if you added uh, the four of them up. Four chapters cover the first 30 years of Jesus' life, and 85 chapters cover the last three years of Jesus' life. And 29 cover the last week. And, I, and, and, and if you look at the Gospel of John, for instance, it's almost a, about half of the Gospel of John is focused on the last week in Jesus. So it makes perfect sense. And it's not like just a church calendar kind of thing to do. But it is very important and necessary that we spend time as a church family looking over this. I think the, the, the writers of the Gospel were trying to tell us something. You agree? Yeah, it's, it's like 89 chapters, 29 cover, it's almost a third of the, all the Gospels cover this last and final week. And it's important, uh, what we're going to do this morning is let all four Gospel writers speak into our message today. Because all four, if, we, if it was just going to be the same thing and they just kind of like copied them over, we wouldn't need four Gospels. But each one wrote with a different person. They might have uh, a different audience in mind. They might have a different purpose in mind. They had a different uh, context. Two of them were eyewitnesses and the other two had just heard the oral traditions uh, that were passed down. But they all had something specific that, that God inspired them to write. We're going to let all four speak into our message. So that's why this morning you're going to see we're going to quote out of each of those Gospels. And if we've been reading in the, the Gospels, we can see in Jesus' story that up until this very, very last week, whenever somebody would try to press Jesus forward into power or, or to make him more prominent or try to get him to draw crowds uh, to himself, um, that he was always resistant to do it. He would do these amazing miracles and then follow it up with a statement like, okay, well now don't go and tell anybody. <laughs> One of the most confusing things, the, the theological term is the messianic secret. But here's what, here's what Jesus uh, knew. And then we see now that in this final week that he begins to adorn himself yeah, there was no Snapchats. He said, you know, don't put this on Facebook yet. I remember my daughter, we had our first grandchild. Don't you put that picture of the baby. I was like just waiting and waiting. We were watching. Every time my phone went off, I was looking at it because all I could wait for was the moment I could tell the world and show the world the prettiest little guy that was walking uh, the planet at the time. Of course, he wasn't doing much walking. But he would do, Jesus would do all these amazing things. He's like keeping it quiet. And I think sometimes we're really, really great. And, and, and especially here at New Song, we, we, we believe that we can hear the voice of the Lord, that we can know the will of God in many situations. And I think we're really, really great to know that there's an appointed thing that God has for us to do. But where I think, and I'll just talk about myself personally, is I don't think I do all that well in the area of the appointed thing, but getting the appointed time 
just right. I want to do the appointed thing, but I want to do it now. I want to do it on my own time, or I want to wait until, you know, all of the risk leaves uh, the situation. But Jesus knew better than anybody that not only is there an appointed thing that God wants us to do, but there's an appointed time for that thing to happen. An appointed thing to do, but there's also an appointed time. And, and, and Jesus understood God's timing better than anybody because no one was turned into the will and the ways and the plans and the timeline of God like Jesus is, Jesus was. And in Palm Sunday, we see as Jesus has been trying to keep this thing a secret, all of a sudden there's a dramatic shift into his ministry. And as he heads into the last week of his life, Jesus begins to full on adore, adorn himself in the Old Testament prophecies that he had fulfilled and that he would fulfill. And as he's doing this, he is very intentional because he is trying to send a message, a clear message to all the world where he'd been hiding it before that the king is here. The Messiah has come. Now, Jesus, he was a, would be a king like, like no other king. In fact, when he was being grilled a little bit by Pont, the, the Roman leader, Pontius Pilate, Jesus told him, he says, my, my kingdom isn't of this world. My kingdom is not of yours. In fact, if my kingdom, if I would, had any desire and intention in setting up an earthly kingdom here, brother, you would know it. Uh, this thing would be completely over with. There would be an uprising like Rome has never seen before. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not an, an earthly kingdom. He had no desire to appeal to the rulers of Rome. He had no, uh, he had no intention of appealing to the Jewish religious leaders of the time to state his case. And because Jesus was a king like no other and his kingdom was like none other, I want to tell you that it messed people up. The people that loved him and the people that hated him, whatever it was, it still kind of messed everybody up. It messed Pontius Pilate up. He couldn't, for the life of him, he was still just scratching his head at the very end. And we have to see the events and everything that Jesus is trying to show us through this Palm Sunday when he starred his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We have to see it through his lenses or we're going to be messed up too. We're going to come away with the wrong opinion of King Jesus and what his lordship means in our life. And we're going to come away with the wrong concept of the, the, the kingdom of God. So we're going to start in Matthew 21. If you guys have your devices and Bibles you want to open there. You guys see these? This palm, yeah? You want one? Okay, I'll give you some later. How's that? We're going to put some meaning behind these things as we get up there, as we, as we get towards the end. But Matthew 21, 1, it says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. And, and Julie and I have actually been there. How many here have been on the, the Mount of Olives and looked down? It's an amazing sight to see. And, and I always thought that as they were standing across the, the Kidron Valley, I, I thought, you know, because some valleys, like in California, the valley is about 100 miles wide. 
And there's probably some bigger valleys than that, but we know that there's some that are very short. But on standing on the Mount of Olives, you can look down, and it would probably be from here to 131 Main, maybe a little bit further, and you can see uh, the temple uh, right there. So as they're looking down, Jesus sent two of them ahead, his disciples. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. And this took place. So why would Jesus do that? This took place, verse 4, to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, or the daughters of Zion, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's quote. And Jesus here is using a, a prophecy from the, the prophet Zechariah that uh, they all would have known what he was alluding to by saying, making this statement. And what Jesus is doing, and this is very critical to understand this morning, is that he is building his kingdom based on the word of the Lord. He is not about to base his kingdom or his life on the opinions of other people. Many had opinions on how Jesus should do kingdom. The disciples, they had a certain agenda, a certain plan. The, the average person did. The, the, the poor that were there had a, a plan. The Jewish people had a plan. The Gentiles had a plan. The Roman government had a, a, a plan. They had an opinion about the, the kingdom of Jesus. And the Jewish religious leaders, they also had an opinion. So everybody has these uh, opinions. They all have certain needs. And, and when they heard about the kingdom would co to come, just like we do, when we get a promise from the Lord, we start kind of creating a picture in our mind. And sometimes we can create really good pictures and get ideas and get a vision for what God wants to do. And sometimes it doesn't look like, like the, the promise doesn't look anything like fulfilled, doesn't look like anything of the pictures that we had in our mind. That's why we have to be sure that we hold on to the promises of God and not the pictures that they create. Jesus didn't do kingdom according to their expectations. And here's the, the, awesome, here's the, the, the weird, crazy thing is, is that they felt that Jesus didn't accomplish anything. Think of it. That whole last week until Jesus was resurrected from the dead, they spent that whole week, right? Half of the Gospels, or third of the Gospels, like, they, they spent it thinking that Jesus wasted it. That Jesus had lost the plot line somewhere along the lines. But Jesus' kingdom would be built on the word of God because the word of God contains the will of God. Right? The word of God contains the will of God. And if we are going to build our lives, we sing a, a song about it, we have to do the same thing. As soon as we start building our lives on something other than the Word of God, we start building them on the opinions of others, I'll tell you, we're going to be, our, our lives never get more uh, screwy, never get more off, never get more broken, never get more confusing and shallow as when we start engaging in people pleasing same with ministries that if you have a ministry you know like as soon as you engage in people pleasing your ministry has just lost all the power 
that it, that it ever had. So, and, and, and here's what they, they were kind of missing along the lines. I want to define uh, these three things. Is that King Jesus came not to break the, the yoke of oppression from the Romans, but rather to break the yoke of sin in their lives. Jesus was determined to bring justice, but not justice over their enemies, but justice in the midst of their enemies. And Jesus wasn't bringing peace uh, in the land. He was bringing peace to the soul. So those are three key distinctions that we have. And this is why they, they missed it. They had the expectations that he, that he would free them from the oppression of the Romans, that he would bring justice and break their teeth, right? That he was going to uh, bring peace and squash these guys, but he was interested in bringing peace to the soul. Continue in Mark chapter 11, verse uh, 8 through 10, it says, many in the crowd, so as Jesus gets the donkey and they throw the garments on him, he starts coming and descending into uh, Jerusalem from the Mount of, of Olives, and all of a sudden, now many in the crowd, so there were people that had gathered uh, from all around, there were people in front of him, there were people behind him, there were people on all sides, and as they came down the road of uh, uh, many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. When Jesus was in the center of the, profession, the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God, or your translations might have Hosanna. The literal, the literal translation in, in Greek is save us. But they're actually quoting Scripture in this, right? Jesus sets the thing up with Scripture, builds this week on Scripture, and then the people begin to respond with Scripture, quoting a psalm. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. And we see here, and it, it, make no mistake that Jesus is purposeful. Every part of this has tremendous significance for what, and meaning for the things that Jesus was trying to convey about what it meant that the king was here. Uh, the donkey and the, the garments laid out and the branches waved. The donkey is when a king went out to declare war. He would go out and he would go out on a golden chariot. He would go out on a, on a battle horse. We've, I, I, I kind of like those uh, movies like, uh, I don't know what they are, 300, some others. You see the battle scenes all the time. All those movies are kind of about the same. But they're going to have an epic showdown. And at the beginning of the epic showdown, what happens? The leaders, right, the kings or the generals, they go out in front of the armies into like the neutral zone, I guess. And then they start working something out. Like, can we get a peace pact here. Okay, I won't, I won't grind your bones to dust. I'll just imprison you and take all your wives and kids. I'll give you this, this way out. Do you accept the terms of surrender? And they would go back and forth and they would say, no, nah, we're going to fight. And if a guy was really tricky, they would stab the other guy like out there. We know how that one goes. But basically, this is the way war was fought in the day. The leaders would come up in front of uh, the scene, and they would try to work it out. But, but if you were coming to try to exact peace, and if you had a, a peace offering that you were trying to bring to a rival kingdom, you would go out 
on a donkey. So the first thing that Jesus is conveying, one is he's fulfilling scripture, but he's saying that I'm a man, uh, I'm victorious, and I'm powerful, but I'm also humble. I'm also a man of peace. And because Jesus is, is humble and he's a man of peace, I want to tell you that his kingdom is one of humility. And peace. So that's the, the donkey. The garment spread is kind of like rolling out the red carpet. Now I know now it seems like everybody in Hollywood, like there's like 4,000 people that are on uh, the red carpet. And we all like to kind of recreate the Hollywood backdrops, you know, for just about everything that we do. But there was a day in time where if you rolled out the red carpet, it was just for royalty. It was only for dignitaries, like the, the upper crust, the, the most important type of a people that you were trying to bestow honor on. So putting out garments would be the same thing that they would do for the, the highest royalty. And it's saying when they threw out the garments that the king is here. And the branches were waved. I tell you, this is something that the crowds would do when a, a victorious king would come back from battle and return back, he would say that, that, that victory is here, that the, the king is here. And it's awesome to see. So we can see that, that every part of this, and I encourage you to go back with your families, uh, go back by yourselves and look at these accounts, these four accounts. It, should, it might only take you 20 minutes to read them. And look at all of the important things and the significance for whatever Jesus was doing as he is trying to convey what his kingdom is going to look like. So then we move to John chapter 12, verse 17. And it says this, that many in the crowd had seen Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. So we know that there were certain types of people here. We know that the, the disciples were, were, were there. And we know that the people, they were eyewitnesses to Jesus' uh, miracles. And then there was another group of people that had just heard the testimonies, kind of like we heard Christina's testimony uh, this morning. And, and that's why they got excited. That's why they were inspired. And that was the reason, verse 18, that so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. And the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. And that'll bring us to our most important point I want to bring out this morning. And that is Jesus is more attractive than religion. Jesus is more attractive than Religion, he's, he's so much different. He's so much different. Kings are about acquiring things for themselves, uh, land and power and subjects and wealth and wives and all of these things. But with Jesus, he is marked by, his kingdom is marked by what he gave up for the sake of everyone underneath of him. He extended his power. He extended his authority to his followers. He distributed all the wealth. And even though he was exalted at the highest place, and he was exalted at the highest place in the heavens, so he never had to put himself forward in the least bit. Because he was seated in, in the heavenlies, because he was the, the Messiah, the Son of God, he didn't have to have a palace 
Right? The Bible tells us that he had nowhere to lay his head. But that was because he was already seated in the highest place uh, that there is. And probably the most significant aspect of the kingdom of Jesus and, and, and uh, of his lordship is that he pulled down barriers rather than set them up. The sad truth is a lot of times when you get engaged in religious systems is, is we just start putting up barriers and we start putting up walls and we, we put up these things because, you know, we just think that somehow that uh, in, in some kingdoms, in some church kingdoms, I will just say, it, it's all about what people do is, is their path to God. But Jesus said, you know, I... It's not what you do is, is your path to God. It says, I am. I am your path to God. If we look at the, the temple worship that was under the Jewish religious systems, you know, a person could only get so close to God. If you were a Gentile, you were only going to get so close. If you were a Jewish baby, you might get a little bit closer. If you were a Jewish woman, you could get a little bit closer. If you were a Jewish man, you could get even closer than that. If you were a priest, you could get right into the Holy of Holies. But Jesus invites everyone just as they are. Everyone has full access to the kingdom. So he came down to destroy that. And one of the hallmarks, if anything marks our ministry here at New Song for all the other great things that will happen, it must be marked by the amount of freedom that we bring into the bondage that our, our area is under. That's why we spend time every year. We have a meeting at the beginning, Vision Saturday, and we look and we think like, well, who are our neighbors and our friends? And then we ask a question, uh, like, what is the brokenness in their life? How is it personified uh, for them? And how can we be an answer to that? What, what part of the freedom of Jesus do we need to take into those lives and take them the, the kingdom? The kingdom of, of Jesus would just give them what earthly kingdoms never could. And, and this is what we have to get. So this is the correct lens that we have to have as we look at uh, the king is here. Is we have to see it that, 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 that the things that we want and the things that we think that we need and the things that we're just, we think that the, the king is going to come and he's going to overthrow, he's going to overcome our enemies. I want to tell you that, that, that Jesus wants to, to, to be the power in you so that you can overcome the enemy. So that you, you are the miracle. You are uh, the, the walking example of the, the kingdom of God. But we have to keep this thing and just understand that the kingdom of Jesus, like it's kind of hard to get on, on some days. But that it'll give us what the earthly kingdoms never, ever could. And then finally, we're going to end up in, in Luke. And this is probably like one of my favorite, favorite lines maybe of all the scripture. In Luke 19.39, it says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, right? Because they're praising him and calling him king and throwing out all their glory and adoration and worth and pouring it out 
on him. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And then Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And I want to tell you that this is one of our greatest prayers at New Song. And if you were new here this morning, you kind of experienced like, man, there's a, a level of, of love here. There's a level of intensity here in our worship. I want to tell you, let it never be said about New Song Church that we just mailed it in in our worship and our adoration of Jesus. And we just never went through the motions. And I want to tell you, there's not a stone or a rock within a mile of this place that stands a chance to ever get the, the, the opportunity to praise Jesus because it happens here. Does it happen at home? Does it happen Within you, And I want to tell you that the, the Pharisees, one of their big accusations against Jesus was that Jesus was diluting holiness, right? He was diluting holiness. And I, and I just love it. In fact, I think that their real concern, what he, that he was diluting their power, that Jesus came to uh, dilute the control that they had on people. That's why they had a pretty good gig. In the name of God. So I want to tell you, uh, finish by telling you three incredible things about the kingdom of heaven. The first is that the Hebrew, uh, the writer of Hebrews tell us is that the kingdom, uh, Jesus' kingdom is unshakable. All other kingdoms, all other candidacies, all other political leaders, uh, they will all fall. They will all crumble. And everything on this earth may, may, may shake except for the kingdom. That's why we look in our lives. What are the bits that are holding true? And those are the things that we have built our life on the word uh, of God. God tells us through the prophet Micah, and the prophet Isaiah, that his kingdom is ever expanding. It's an ever increasing peace and that it will never, ever end. So there's other kingdoms right now. In fact, there's one kingdom in particular, our, our enemy's kingdom, and, and he is at work right now and he is having some success. But I want to tell you that his kingdom is limited in duration and it's limited in scope. His kingdom is going to come to an end. His kingdom can only reach us so far. But if we belong to the King, to the king Jesus, yeah. it's limited in scope in terms of how he can affect our lives. Yes. Right? We know that he who is in us is greater than he is in the word. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And here's the one. This is really going to blow your mind. You may want to take a drink. Everybody got a cup of coffee? <laughs> You ready for this one? We'll quote Jesus. You won't, in Luke 17, 21, you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Now, 
we have to like unpack this just a little bit, but what he's saying is that the kingdom is among you. He's also saying this word among really means in the midst of or it's that it's within you or, or simply put that it's a reality in your soul. It's a reality in the, uh, the, the community of faith that you belong to, that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is within us. And so we have to look at what we're going to do. So the king is here, and just like it was, I believe it was April 6th, A.D. 33, we want to proclaim that the king is here. We're going to sing about it. The worship team can, uh, can come up. We've been singing about it all morning. We want to do it with our worship. So the first thing we want to do, uh, the way we're going to get this right Palm Sunday, is that we are going to proclaim with our, with our mouths that the king is here. Why don't you guys say that? The king is here. The second thing is that we want to demonstrate to the world that the king is here. So we want to proclaim and we want to demonstrate it uh, by releasing people from bondage and, and bringing salvation and peace to their souls. And Jesus said this, he says, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now or the kingdom of God is upon you. He says, but if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom has arrived among you, or, or, or again, uh, upon you. So these are the ways that we demonstrate. That's why we believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit here, and that it's, it's part proclamation, but it's part demonstration as well. If you look at Jesus, he didn't do just demonstrate, demonstrate, demonstrate. He didn't do proclamation, cro- proclamation, proclamation. He did proclamation and demonstration, and they went hand in hand to give us a gospel of power. And then the third thing, and most importantly, because of the kingdom, we really have to establish the kingdom. We want to proclaim it. We want to demonstrate but we have to establish the, the kingdom of, of Jesus. And we do that by embracing the king just as he is. We don't try to put our perspectives. And again, we take the promises of God. But we have to be careful not to hold on to the pictures that they may create. Some of them are going to be right on. And then others, the promise is going to create something that Jesus has in mind that, that far exceeds anything that we can hope or imagine. And that as we establish the kingdom of God on this earth, that the way it is done is that it first is established in our lives. It's established in our families. It's established in our workplaces. It's established in our hearts. We build our lives and ministries on the word of God, not the opinions of others.